All right. Well, good to see you. Thanks for coming out on a Sunday night. And uh, this morning was a wonderful morning. And uh, boy, we just uh, uh, we'll see how the summer goes. And then uh, next September, I don't know what we're going to do with seating, but we'll figure something out. So uh, but uh, great to see you folks. Uh, Don't stay home just to give us more room, by the way. You just keep packing it in and we'll uh, we'll enjoy uh, seeing the folks as they come. All right. Take your Bibles. Let's go to Romans chapter eight. And uh, we started last week, we did verses 31 through 33, so I didn't get very far. And uh, tonight we're going to try and get through 34 to 39. And we're talking about more than conquerors. And uh, if you didn't get a handout, uh, then I've, uh, just raise your hand up, they'll be happy to get you one. It's basically the same outline as last week, because we only got through a third of it. So let me ask a couple of questions while we're getting situated. Do you want to be happy? What what we're going to see tonight as we look at this, Paul's trying to encourage God's people here. And he's going to go through a list of quite a few different things that literally can suck the joy out of people. Now, there's many, many different things, and I'm going to kind of go from a 30,000-foot level for a minute, and then we'll come back down to where Paul is going through some very specific things, but do you have joy in your life? And I mean that sincerely. I want to just think about it. It's like the right church answer is, of course I have joy. I know Christ. I'm a Christian. I come to church. I have friends. I go to school. go to work. Life is great. And then uh, you walk out of church and it's like reality hits and it's like, well, it was great five minutes last week or ten minutes or a half an hour or an hour. And then the troubles of life come and the heartaches of life come and the joy sometimes gets sucked right out of people. There's a lot of folks that uh, uh, deal with, I'm just going to put the word out there, it's a strong word, but there's a lot of folks that deal with depression. Christians going through tough times and hard times and uh, uh, life seems to get overwhelming and uh, and sometimes there's valid reasons why people can get negatively impacted to where life just doesn't seem wonderful for them anymore. And it could be from a variety of things that have happened in their life, in their background, situations, circumstances, and all of a sudden the life just seems to get sucked out of you and you're trying to figure out how do I get back to having joy in my life? How do I get back to where life is, I mean, I can actually get up in the morning and it's like I want to be up, I want to move forward, I, I, I'm enjoying life. So we're going to look at some of those things today and try and give, and again, you may be on top side today, and if you are, wonderful, praise the Lord for that. But there's so many folks that constantly are struggling and hurting and, and looking for how can I, and literally, how do I just get through tomorrow? And we're going to look at multiple things that Paul is going to look at, and he's going to remind us, and, the, and that's what he's doing in this part of uh, Romans chapter 8. He's trying to help us to realistically look at the things that we encounter, that you go through, and it's like despite all the difficulties, and Paul was no stranger to difficulties, horrible things that happened in his life, but yet he still was able 
to maintain, if you will, a positive outlook on life. So we'll try and glean a little bit from what were the things that actually excited him? What were the things that God used in his life to make him happy and joyous despite the trials, despite the persecution, despite the trials that he went through? So let's take our Bibles. We're going to go to uh, Romans chapter 8 again. And I'll read uh, what we went through last week, and then we'll get into the new section and see what God has for us this evening. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Again, he's trying to bring this concept in that, that despite what's going on, despite the attacks that come your way, God is going to help you to be victorious in life. All right, so uh, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now, these first verses, and again, we're, we're, we're not going back to them today. God who justifies, again, we talked about that, it's a... It's a legal decision. The judge drops his gavel and states, you are justified. So that's the first concept Paul's trying to hammer into us. We're justified. No sin is laid to our account. And he's like, this is a good thing. And then he's going to go through, well, based on our justification, based on reading right with God, here's how I can help you in your daily walk. All right, so let's move forward. Uh, verse 34, who is he who condemns? Which is what we'll start today. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. This is one of the key things we're going to stress tonight. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or pearl, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now he's going to go through a list of other things that often come in the Christian's way that you should be able to overcome through Christ. So here we start, verse 38. He says, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Father, I pray as we open up this passage, Lord, I don't know all, I'm sure, many of the folks that may be watching on the Internet, maybe folks in this room this evening, that are suffering and going through difficult times, which is nothing new to anyone in this debauchery of a society that we live in. But, Father, I pray that as we look at the things that Paul faced, the many different issues that are brought up in this text, that, Lord, you'll help those things to speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, whatever it's going to take to walk out if you're realizing that every single one of God's people 
despite how bad things have gotten for them, despite the sometimes horrific conditions under which they live, that, Father, there is joy in Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we look at this wonderful topic that you've given to us, that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Lord, revive the saved, please, and save any lost. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So let's start out with he's, he's going to, once again, we're going to be looking at some of the wonderful things that God has done for us. The whole concept here is based on what God has done for you through Christ is how you can begin, if you haven't found it, to get your joy back. If you're, if you're going, and again, the only way that, I, that this can help you tonight is if you're honest with yourself. Where do you stand right now? Are you, are you truly living in a joyful state? And I'm sure some are. I mean, things are just going well and you're happy and, and you're through. And there's no crisis that's upsetting your life tonight. Those of you in high school and young people that are here tonight, uh, life is good and you're enjoying what you're doing. But there's others that may be sitting in here tonight. You may have a smile on your face. And yet your heart's broken inside, and, and you're suffering with things that life is just overwhelming for you. Same with adults. And we're going through many of those things tonight that actually, I mean, they get to you. But he's going to start out with this. He's going to try and set the tone, if you will. Here's how you can start to find happiness once again. Here's how you can be excited about life once again. So he wants to set the doctrinal tone first. So he says, who is he who can condemn you? And now he's going to come and look at what Jesus did for you and try and get you started on the right path. Number one, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God. So he wants to start out saying this. He's like, let's, let's just go back to the basics for a minute. Uh, I always uh, remember uh, Vince Lombardi. And on occasion, I'll bring this up. And he would walk into the locker room at the Green Bay Packers, and uh, he'd hold up a football. The guys didn't play a good game yesterday. Things didn't go well. They lost the game. So the coach would start out, he'd come in, and now you got a room full of million-dollar professional football players, and he holds up a football and says, gentlemen, this is a football. Now you're like, well, that's crazy. That's so basic, it's, it's almost funny. It's insulting. Well, he's like, if we, can't, if we can't get back to the basics, if we don't understand the whole basic thing of how to play football, we're never going to win a game. Uh, just brought up something that I was at last week on, um, I forget what day it was, must have been Thursday, Thursday early morning. Uh, we were at the governor's prayer breakfast, and uh, again, the governor doesn't come, but everybody else was there. But anyway, uh, I shouldn't have said that. Yes, I should. Anyway, uh, the bottom line is the speaker was Don Beebe. How many of you know who Don Beebe is? All right. He was. Uh, he has six Super Bowl rings, and uh, I didn't realize this until Don pointed it out that uh, I think four or five of them were from non-wins. But if you play in the Super Bowl, you still get the ring. I never knew that. So I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Those rings are worth uh, probably more than most of our homes. But uh, Don Beebe is a dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore Christian. 
a wonderful guy. And uh, I, I mean, I, I was, his testimony was just spotless, wonderful. And uh, Don Beebe, and, and I, 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 I'm not going to go through his whole testimony, but here's the interesting thing. Don got saved when he was about seven years old. Uh, his parents uh, brought him up in a good, strong Christian family. And how he got into the NFL, and again, I, I, it literally, and he brought it out. This is, God somehow got him there. He never, I, I, he, he didn't, he played high school football. He, he never really played college football, and everything worked out that somehow he managed to get drafted after going uh, to a couple of different things. And it's just an amazing story how God allowed him to get into the pro ranks. And, I mean, he's given the glory to God. His wife was there. She gave her testimony. And it really it was just absolutely exciting how God led him uh, to play for the Packers and uh, one other team, which I don't recall right now, some of you sports. Who? Buffalo, yes. So uh, I don't follow sports that much, but uh, it, it just was miraculous. So Don Beebe then, and his wife made mention of this. Don Beebe could have made many, many more millions and millions of dollars coaching after basically he retired from uh, playing as a, as a player. Multiple different teams had asked him to come coach for them. Now, folks, that's big, big money to, to coach in the uh, NFL. Don said this to his wife. Remember, got saved at seven years old. Was uh, based on what he said, and I got it, and I'll believe him. Uh, he was a good Christian guy, and he loved his wife and loved his kids. So Don made a decision and said, listen, I'm going to turn, and he told his wife, I'm turning down every NFL offer I get after basically he retires from playing. And she made mention of that, and he's like, well, here's why he did it. Because he loves me, and he loves our kids, and he wanted to build a family. And I was like, that's, that's impressive. Now, he's, uh, he's still coaching down in uh, Aurora, Illinois, where their home is at uh, a small college down there. But he gave up millions and millions of dollars so that he could basically stay with his family and build it. That's the basics. Folks, and the basics is this, and this is why, and Don kept going back to, this is how God led him based on what? Based on that, a seven-year-old boy comes to Jesus Christ. God gives him an unbelievable opportunity, one that really is quite rare in how he got into the NFL, makes his money and says, listen, I'm going home. I'm going to spend my time with my family and my kids, and we're going to serve God. Who is he that condemns? And then we go through the gospel. It is Christ who died, is risen, and is even at the right hand of God. Folks, this is the football, if you will, of Christianity. It's the basics. If you don't have this, you've got nothing. And that's why we go through it every single week, at least for a few minutes during each message. Now, here we get to the advanced part. Now we're going to put the pads on, so to speak. We're going to go out to the field, and we're going to learn how to get to the next level. And Paul's looking at us right now, and it's like, okay, you understand the basics as a Christian. Yes, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, you put your faith and trust in him. Have you done that? Yes. Well, why aren't I happy? Why is life tough? Why are things not going the way I wish they would? Why is my heart breaking right now? Why am I going through difficulties? Why am I going through challenges? 
He says, well, let me give you something else in the toolbox tonight. What is Jesus doing for you tonight? What is he doing for you tonight? Not what he did 2,000 years ago when he went to the cross. What is Jesus doing for you tonight? What is he doing? Who also makes intercession for us. What does that mean? I gave a testimony, a personal testimony last week about the guys that came into my office. I didn't ask them to come in. They came in on their own, and actually that was about two weeks ago. I told the testimony last week. And they came in, prayed over a bit of a physical problem that I had, and within a week it was totally gone, something that started out really bad, and the doctor was not happy about it. And within one week of God's people praying, it was healed. I mean, totally gone. Now, God can do things. Now, they came in, and what did they do? They made intercession for me. And I appreciate that. And and I really do, and I, I mean, I... It's just a wonderful thing, and I got quite emotional last week. Why? Because when God's people come to God, and then God, uh, and that in itself was just a wonderful thing. If God would have said no to the prayer, their prayers, just the thought that they came in to do that was just so encouraging. It was it was unbelievably wonderful. But now, not only did they come in, they make intercession for me on this occasion god does something miraculous and it's taken care of now what god is saying here christian is that jesus knows your problem he knows what you're suffering with he knows the difficulty that you're going through and he's saying paul is trying to point out to you listen before you open your mouth in prayer, before you pour your heart out to God, which unfortunately many people just don't do. They try to figure it out themselves. They forget to go to God and get it fixed or at least try and get a solution. And Paul saying, Jesus knows all about you. He does. He knows you. Listen, when you place your faith and trust in him, he made a bond with you. You're his. And God said, listen, my dear friend, listen, my dear young lady, my dear young man, and we're all young ladies and young men to Jesus. And he's like, I know what you're going through. You don't think I know what you're going through, but I know. And Jesus says this, he is doing what? He comes into your bedroom. He comes into your schoolroom. He comes into your place of work. He comes to wherever you're, hurting, and just like the guys came back into my office, he's there. And Jesus said, "Here's I'm not just here, but you know what I'm doing? I make an intercession for you. I'm, isn't that something? Jesus is praying to the Father for you when you're struggling, when you're going through those deep points of despair and despondency and hopelessness at times, and Jesus said, I love you, I care about you, and I'm coming to the Father and asking him to enter, basically Jesus saying, I'm interceding on your behalf. Folks, that's happened all the time. 
I made this statement a few weeks ago. Maybe it was last week. And do you ever feel, and, and this is tough because this is a little sitting on the experiential side, which I'm very cautious to go there, but does, can, can the Holy Spirit lead you? Can he? Uh, he can. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do things in a person's life? And that's where we have to be very, very careful as to uh, uh, how we explain that. Because it is miraculous, yet how does, how does the Holy Spirit move us to go in a certain direction? How does he move us to go in a certain way? And, and I make this very clear. The Holy Spirit is not going to physically appear in the auditorium tonight. He's chosen not to do that. That's not the way God operates today. But somehow, some way, because where does the Holy Spirit live, folks? I mean, how many times have we gone through that? And I go through it and through it and through it on purpose. Because, folks, when we begin to realize the Holy Spirit indwells us and lives in us, and the Bible makes it clear he, when the Holy Spirit comes, which he has, he will lead us, he will guide us, he will convict us, he will challenge us. Well, how does he do that? Somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit manages to put the right thoughts right up here. The problem is you have to figure out, is this the Holy Spirit leading me? And this morning we talked about that. When you feel, well, the Holy Spirit's trying to do something, I believe the, the, the Holy Spirit's trying to move me in a direction, move me to do something, what's the next step? Well, number one, we said Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 this morning, if you remember it. What is it? Trust in the Lord with all your, and lean not on your own. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he what? All right, so that was phase number one, where the Holy Spirit begins to work on us. You know, sometimes, and, 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 I, and here's what I said a few weeks ago, or last week, what I, like I say, whatever it was. All of a sudden, something enters into my little cranium. And it's like, I think I want to do whatever X is. I think maybe three years ago, I think maybe I'd like to pastor Union Grove Baptist Church. Well, now, how do I know if that's God's will or not? That's a huge move. That's a, I mean, that folks, and, and those of you that know me, that's not, you understand it. That was a massive move. Valerie and I were preaching around the country. We had an international ministry. We were tour guide in Israel. We did other international trips and preached all over the place. And all of a sudden, all that's going to stop. And we're going to commit to a church. Now, folks, that it, 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 it's like that's a huge, massive move for us. Now, many of you face the same kind of things. What job am I going to do? What school am I going to go to? Who am I going to marry? Uh, and, I mean, just a zillion other things. And you got these massive things that all of a sudden come upon you. And it's like all of a sudden, it's like, well, I, I, think, I, I think I should pray about this. And the seed's already in your head. And between Justin and some others, and of course John Seacash had a big play, play in getting this started three years ago. And it's like, what, what's the right thing to do? Is it time to make this massive of a change or not? 
Have you ever been there? Are you there now? And it's like, well, what? how do I know what truth is? Trust in the Lord. And all of a sudden this thought comes to my mind, well, I think I ought to start praying about this. I believe Jesus was already making intercession about this decision. I think Jesus already was saying, listen, uh, uh, Father, I, I, I know Rich, and I know the rest of you folks, and it's like, I think that's probably, no, he didn't say probably. I think that's where he should be. And uh, the thought comes into your head, and the thought came into other people's heads. It's like, yeah, I think, I think Rich might fit in here. Well, I don't know if I do or don't, but it seems to be working. <laughs> and all of a sudden, people begin to pray about what God has already decided is going to take place. You see what I'm saying? Why? Because Jesus has been making intercession. He knew the church was in a particular spot, a particular place, and God said, I'm not, I'm not forsaking the church. I'm not going to let them go hungry and blind and whatever and just go wandering off a cliff. God already had a plan for this church, and I strongly believe that. And uh, all of a sudden, everything began to fall into place. Everybody begins to pray, and all of a sudden, here we are. But wait a second, who started the process? I believe God did with all my heart. I believe the Holy Spirit had 100% involvement in this. Or you know what? Instead of having what we had this morning, you know what we would have had if, if God wasn't in it? probably have about a tenth of the crowd. We'd be fighting and feuding and fussing and nothing would be going right and the whole church would collapse if we didn't do things God's way. And I believe the leadership here had been praying. I believe the people that were here three years ago that uh, were the uh, core of Union Grove Baptist Church all wanted God's will to be done. And I firmly believe that. So that's an illustration. Jesus says, listen, you, here's, what you're, here's where you need to be. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to put these thoughts in your heads and begin to pray, and you, you say, well, we're going to trust the Lord on this. And then we're going to go to the next phase, which we talked about from Proverbs this morning. When you make a big decision, what's the next major thing you do after you pray and trust the Lord? You get a multitude of what? Good, godly counselors. No, do not go out and pay somebody two, three, four, five hundred, a thousand dollars. Good counselors, I'm going to make the counseling academics mad. Good Bible believing counselors don't cost money. You say, I don't agree with that. Well, okay, I'm going to fudge a little bit and give them a little leeway. There are many good Bible believing counselors that do it for a living and they need to get paid. But, folks, that's not the ones I use. I use men of God that I know that are uh, uh, very advanced in ministry, good, godly people, and on occasion, always my wife, and then on occasion, based on the circumstance, other godly ladies that I want their advice on. But you know who starts the process? You don't. I don't. Who also makes what? intercession for us. Now let's get very practical for a few minutes. Let me take you back a few weeks ago when the five guys showed up in my office and made intercession. 
you think God can use you to pray for people today? Do you believe that God actually answers prayer? Now, do you believe it? I mean, not, not give me the Sunday school answer. Well, yeah, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. I should pray and God will take care of everything. And I put a smile on my face and go back. I'm not talking about the Sunday school answer. I'm talking about a hardcore belief in that. God can do miraculous things in your life. God can lead you in unbelievable ways if you'll yield to him and allow that intercessory work of the Lord to make good in your life. Young people in uh, uh, the, the high school folks uh, that are here, those of you that are still in school, I never took a test, never walked into a room after I got saved. Now, before I got saved, I had ways of passing tests that weren't exactly the best way to do things. And I'll leave it at that. But after I got saved, I decided that uh, let's try it God's way now. Let's study. Let's work. And let's ask God to help me on my tests and my papers and everything that I do. Young people, I challenge you, when you go to school, and most of you are almost done now, so you've got to wait till next year. But when you walk into those classrooms and you pray before you pick the pen up or your tablet up or whatever you use today, you ask God to, to help you and to put into your mind what you studied. It works because God will help you. And I firmly believe that. He also makes intercession for us. What does intercession mean? It means that Jesus is pleading for you. Jesus is appealing to God for you. Jesus is petitioning God for you. Jesus is interceding on your behalf today. He's intervening, and he wants you to have the best. I talk to people all the time when I'm, I guess we'll call it counseling, and people will begin to come in, and, and it's, it, it's usually the same concepts at the beginning. And they're looking for help. Have you ever, I mean, the, the concept, I'm, I'm looking for help in all the wrong places. I'm making all the wrong decisions, but I expect everything to come out wonderful. Folks, that's not how life works. When we decide to break every rule, every principle, every concept in Scripture, and we expect to come out with a good result, I hate to break it to you. It doesn't work because God laid down simple things. Folks, if you date an unsafe person, what do you think is going to happen? Problems. Thank you. Let me tell you a little story. This week, nobody in this church, if it was in this church, I wouldn't tell it, had a young lady Claimed to be a Christian, she falls in love with an unsaved individual. They elope against mom and dad's wishes, against, if you will, the pastor's wishes, 
against what all of her Christian friends would have advised, they take off. That young man, totally unchurched, totally unchurched. Not only did he not know Christ, he didn't even know what the inside of a church looked like. And I, I mean, I'm being straight up, folks. This happened this week. That event took place long about some time ago. So what happens? This young lady is swept off her feet by this unsaved individual who turns out to be an alcoholic. Oh, I guess that's a problem too. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. Well, he was filled with the Spirit all right. This young Christian lady who said, listen, I, I, I believe if I love him and I care for him, he'll come to Jesus. Well, that's a great thought. But you got things out of order. You don't marry him and then try and win him to Christ. It's just exactly the opposite. They get married. If you look in, if you knew who they were, which you don't, and you go to a thing called CCAP and looked up his criminal record, and you'll find he had domestic abuse charges against him since they got married. Now, folks, where did domestic abuse incidents happen? Had they happen at home? So, of course, as, as it goes, and as the typical thing with folks that are in violent relationships, instead of her saying enough's enough, you either get right with God or I'm going to have to leave you until you decide to get right with God and stop beating me up and stop drinking all the time. Are we getting real tonight? Folks, this is real. So what takes place? She goes back to him. I love him. Last week, she ends up in the hospital with a head split open. He's drunk, not open to Scripture. Now, folks, you say, well, she tried. She wanted what God had to offer to Christian couples. She expected her way of doing things, which was 100% unscriptural, to come out with everything beautiful and wonderful. May I kindly tell you, and young people, please, and folks that are going through difficulties in your relationships now, regardless of what age you are, when you begin to walk down the slippery slope of refusing to follow God's will, when you decide to date the unsaved, when you decide to marry the unsaved, when you decide to go into an illicit relationship with someone who's saved or unsaved, do you expect God to bless that relationship and give you a happy ending? I hate to tell you, it's not going to happen. See, Pastor, we haven't heard you talk like this in a long time. You're right, I haven't. But all of a sudden, I got a little wake-up call when a lovely young lady ends up in the hospital thinking she was doing the right thing, but back in her mind, did she know she was doing wrong? Of course she did. 
But it's like maybe I'm the exception to the rule. There's no exceptions to the rules. God's word is true. And Jesus is up there. And I, I can guarantee you, he was pleading, oh, God, let, let the Holy Spirit work on her and convict her. And I know people were involved in her life and tried to get her to change her mind and do right. Shut them out. Listen, some of you folks are going to end up in tragedy just like this young lady unless you absolutely follow what's in God's word. I'm just telling you. And it's like it's not because Pastor Rich said it. It's because God's word makes it that clear. When Jesus is up there trying to help you, when he gives you this word, when he puts the Holy Spirit inside of your heart, and you know, you know you're violating what he asks you to do, don't expect a good outcome. It's not going to happen. Now, let me, let me because I, I never like leaving on these things on a bad note. Despite the fact that many people, many Christians have gone down the path of destruction, can God get a hold of you and get you back? Can he do it? Absolutely he can. But don't test him. Don't go down the rotten path and hope for the best. Don't go down the road that says, Bridge out ahead, and it's like, well, I watch TV movies, and if I go 150 miles an hour, if I can get my little car to go that fast, I can jump over the bridge and make it. And all of a sudden, you got the hammer down on the, on the throttle, and you're going as fast as you can, and you don't have wings on the side of your car, and it goes in, and you almost make it, but you don't. Folks, don't test God. Don't push him. So Jesus is there. He's like, listen, uh, uh, if you're going through tough times, don't make mistakes. How about interceding for folks that are hurting? And I know a lot of folks do that. I, I, I love it when I walk in, usually after a message, and I'll, I'll say, boy, over there, they're praying together. I walked in this morning, and uh, one of our deacons was praying with some folks out. I mean, the service hadn't started yet, and, and they're praying out in the hallway. I'm like, this is great. Praise the Lord. Folks, uh, we can only do so much with, with, uh, with talking. We can only do so much by preaching. We can also do so much by teaching. But when God's people get a hold of this concept called prayer, things happen. And God changes things. By the way, he already wants to change them. The presents are sitting, and I love that illustration. It's like if we looked at God's warehouse it's full of things that God wanted to give to you. And he said, listen, I got this for you, and I got this for you, and I got this for you. But I'm not giving it to you until you ask me. And we fail to ask. You have not because you ask. Yeah, there it is right out of James. He's got a whole warehouse waiting for you. Now, by the way, it's not Mercedes and million-dollar homes and all the rest, now you say, ah, man. Uh, uh, but seriously, the things that you need to survive are waiting in the warehouse. Uh, we are more than conquerors, so let's go back to the verse here. Uh, so what is he doing? He is making intercession for us. Well, where is he doing that? Jesus Christ is up at the right hand of God interceding for you with the Father today. And, of course, these are artist renditions. Hebrews 7, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make 
intercession for them. Listen, that ought to put you on top side tonight. Somebody is praying for you that's a whole lot better than Pastor Rich. It's a whole lot better than the deacon board. It's a whole lot better than the entire church because uh, even though that's good, we all should pray for each other. But he's like, Jesus is up there interceding on your behalf. Would you open your heart up to him? Would you look at him? Would you focus on him and then pray for one another and ask God to do wonderful things? And you know what? I just think the Bible's true and he'll do that. What do you think? I mean, he will. So let's talk a little bit about this. So Jesus is up in heaven. I just want to take a couple minutes and go through how did God in the Old Testament deal with folks? How did people come to the Lord back uh, in Old Testament times? It was a bit different than today. If I want to talk to God today, how do I, do I have to go to a tabernacle or a temple or a church? Uh-uh. I just, wherever you are, whatever form you're in, whether you're on your knees, whether you're standing up, whether you're driving, whether you're walking, whether you're sitting in a classroom, whether your boss just walked into uh, 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 your place of business with a scowl on his face, and all of a sudden uh, 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 you're, you know you're, you're getting ready to go through a difficult time, and all of a sudden you just pause, and it's like, oh, Lord, would you help me right now? Help me not to blow up. Help me not to say the wrong thing. Help me not to make it worse. And God is there interceding on our behalf. But back in Old Testament times, about 1,000 B.C., uh, and this is a cutaway picture of a tabernacle, the Jewish people, when they were coming out of Egypt, God gave them this portable tabernacle that they would set up. And if you see all the red uh, uh, kind of things around there, kind of looks like anthills. Well, they're actually uh, an artist's rendition of tents being around where the tabernacle was. And uh, they would come. And there are multiple different pieces of furniture. We're talking about uh, in the front, uh, uh, you had the bronze altar. They went through the sacrificial system all until Jesus Christ came a thousand years later. They had the bronze laver where they would uh, cleanse themselves before the priests would go into what's known as, and again, it's a cutaway, uh, uh, past that first curtain, which is known as the holy place. Uh, it's hard to pick up, and i got a bigger picture in a minute. Uh, the menorah, the seven-candled uh, menorah was there. Also, what else was there? What was called the table of showbread, where fresh-baked bread and the aroma was there for God to enjoy. And then you went past the final curtain into what was called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and God's presence would hover over that, and they knew God was with them. So, uh, again, this is Old Testament things. We certainly don't do it today. Again, a half shot of what that, uh, a tabernacle would look like when the priest would enter the outer core, come into the holy place, he'd go up, and then one other thing you'll see, and I'm going to step off camera here, when you look at that second blue uh, curtain, you'll see a apparatus there, which was the altar of incense. God always likes sweet-smelling things, and uh, I think that's why God made flowers. I, I think that's why God made a lot of things that just bring happiness and uh, what. So I, I, I go to a hotel, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And uh, it was a little more of an upscale one, which I usually don't go to, but Valerie probably made sure we did on this occasion. And uh, I brought home this little, I, I don't know, I got this goofy thing about collecting the shampoo bottles. And, you know, it's like it's, I got a whole drawer full of them and somebody else that might live with me goes in and finds them and gets rid of them. 
But uh, anyway, <laughs> I, had, I had this really, I mean, man, I was using it in the shower the other day. It's like, man, this stuff really smells good. It was called Nest and I have sea salt something, and it was like, man, this is good. And it was free. Yeah, right. And uh, so I go on the Internet. It's like, you know, I usually, and folks, I am cheap as they come. I buy all my toiletries at the dollar store. And I was really upset when they went to a buck twenty-five. But uh, anyway, I go to the dollar store and get my stuff. But I, I'm like, man, this stuff smells so good. I got to get a bottle of this. I go on Amazon, and I see this stuff, like a little bottle, like eight ounces, thirty-five dollars was the cheapest I could find. And you see, pff, yeah, yeah. But see, here's the problem. I just don't put it on my hair. I mean, I want to smell it, so I, have, you know. And I was like, no, I'm, I mean, could I have spent the 35 bucks because I love the smell? I could have, but it's like, uh-uh. And uh, Valerie says, let me see that. I think she might have bought it, but I'm not sure. Anyway, we'll find out at Christmas. But uh, <laughs> the point is God likes sweet-smelling things. It, it, it brings fra- He likes sweet-smelling bread, fresh bread. He liked the incense. He had a very specific formula that he had them do. Folks, you want to enjoy life, you want to be happy, it's like put on good music. Put something out there that you like the smell of. God wants you to enjoy what you're doing. God wants to enjoy what he's doing. Why does he have the altar of incense? Why does he have fresh baked bread inside of his tabernacle? Because God wants to enjoy part of his creation. So they would go into the tabernacle and the priest would go past into the Holy of Holies and make atonement, how often, for the sins of Israel? Once a year. And he'd enter in, and uh, of course after the uh, tabernacle was done in 960 B.C., King, uh, uh, I'm sorry, not Saul, not David, but who? Solomon built that first temple. And a massive temple. And what do they do? They had the, the altar outside. And in order to come to God, they had all these rituals and all these things that they went through in order to come to God back in Old Testament times. And again, uh, basically the temple was pretty much the same as the tabernacle, same concept, but much, much, much bigger at the time. So the high priest once a year uh, would enter through the curtain and go into what was known as the Holy of Holies. And there he would uh, put the incense before the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence if he was pleased with what the high priest gave uh, uh, would basically uh, bless the people of Israel at that time. But now it's different. Now we don't go through all those rituals. Hebrews 9.24, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. One time on your behalf, Jesus did what? He entered onto the cross. He gives his life. He pays the ultimate sacrifice, his death, and most of all, his resurrection guarantees you are justified. Hang on, folks. 
about those difficult times right now? What about those trials and tribulations and difficulties that you're going through today? And Jesus said, I've gone through the most terrific of circumstances. I was treated horribly. I was beat up. I was spit upon. I was crucified. And I gave my life, and based on my resurrection, all these things are waiting for you. But you got to walk with me. We get upset when we bring out the concept that we should walk with God every single day. Churches, pastors, parents, leaders, you're too hard on us. Now, that hasn't happened here, by the way, but it's the way we think, and I'm, I'm serious. Nobody ever came up to me and said, Rich, you're preaching too hard. Hasn't happened here. It's probably because I don't preach too hard. <laughs> sometimes I'm maybe a little soft. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can let things slip in and cause our relationship to go sour. Listen, if you're not walking with God, don't expect to be happy. You can't do it. You might be happy temporarily. You might enjoy something that maybe you shouldn't be enjoying, and you find joy in other things. But, folks, the ultimate joy is when you're walking with the Lord. And I'm not saying that because I'm a preacher. I'm saying that because I've lived it out for some 40-plus years after I trusted Christ. Sin is wonderful for how long? A season. And all of a sudden, the sin wears off, and it becomes unfulfilling. Do you know that's why God gave the progression in Romans chapter 1 of young people and adults that start out with leaving God and going into idolatry and all of a sudden the next thing is God says he gave them over to inordinate affections where we now have what is common and I, and I don't need to keep harping on this but boy it's wrecking our country. The homosexuality and the lesbianism is stage 2 of what God said would happen to a culture that does not follow God. And then finally, stage three, which we are in now, we're in the worst stage you can possibly get in, according to Romans chapter one, because humankind, because the government, because leadership, because churches as close as a few miles away from us are teaching that you better endorse the gay and and, uh, cross-gender lifestyles Folks, it's in. It's no more than 15 minutes from where we're standing. A church that calls itself a Christian church, a Bible-believing church, is pushing for gender transition. Now, is there any wonder why our country's going down the hill? Is there any any wonder why our economy is all but ruined? Is there any wonder why our young people are watching pornography on their phones day and night? Is there any wonder why the divorce rate keeps going up? Is there any wonder why people are dying by the scores, by the thousands in Milwaukee County, in Racine County, in Kenosha counties? the murder rate keeps going up? And God says, I'm here making intercession on your behalf, Christian. 4% of Milwaukee, Racine, and Kenosha are people like you that follow the Lord. 4%. 4%. 
That means 96% are doing everything they can to wreck you. And here we look. There's the answer. There's the answer. He goes to the cross. He comes off the cross, gets buried, and he says, based on my resurrection, he enters up into the Holy of Holies in heaven. And as we read in Hebrews, there's an actual real, and, and, and it doesn't describe it, it just tells us that what's here on earth when the, when the second temple was here, when all these different things are here, they're similes of what's in heaven. Hebrews 9.26, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And you all know this verse, and as it appointed for men once to die, or to die once, but after this, what comes? The judgment. Listen, if you're a Christian, I know I'm talking to mostly Christians tonight, are you sold out on Jesus? Is your life sold out on Jesus? Is your life sold out for Jesus? Or you remember the old Alan Edmonds commercial? So nice shoe, nice shiny one, by the way. Got a nice insert in it. Yeah, not too bad. The guy walks up, and uh, this is an old commercial, Alan Edmonds, and he gets up on the shoe shine stand. I hope this isn't hurting you, buddy. All right. <laughs> and you just got it. Uh, and the guy says, are you making it or are you faking it? Is that a real Alan Edmonds shoe or is it some off-brand? Folks, are you making it or are you faking it? Do you really know the Lord Jesus Christ that you claim to? Are you really following him? Are you really serving him? Are you making it? I guarantee you this is not an Allen Edmonds shoe. Now, I happen to have one pair that I bought on sale 100 years ago, and I've resold them about 52 times. Are you making it or faking it? Let's finish up. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who's going to separate you from God's love? You know what's going to separate you from it? Only one thing. You, your mind, allowing horrible things that we're going to go through, and I'm just going to go through the list very quickly, and we'll pray and be done. If you're suffering today, if you're hurting today, if you're not victorious today, if your life is, I'm just trying to figure it out, you have not claimed your victory yet. And I know it's hard. And some of you have gone through horrible, unspeakable tragedies. And no, it doesn't heal overnight. It doesn't all of a sudden, you just, okay, I went through a tragedy, 24 hours later, life is good. No, I get it. That does not happen. But what I am saying is the longer you spend with the Lord, the longer you spend in his word, the longer you spend speaking with him, the longer you spend interceding for others and them interceding for you, here's what Jesus gives us through the apostle Paul. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What can do it? Can the horrible tribulation that you've gone through, can that separate you from God's love? And what's the answer? No, absolutely not. God still loves you tonight. 
He cares about you. He loves you. He's interceding on your behalf. Shall tribulation or distress. Here's what distress is. And here's actually what the word means. Have you ever seen walls, maybe on a TV show or whatever, somebody's in there and the walls start coming in on them? If you haven't, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of gross, if you will. I mean, what's going to happen if those walls keep coming? It's going to crush them to death. It's exactly what this word means. It's when you get into a situation and all of a sudden the walls literally are coming in and it's crushing you to death. And you can't find peace in that. You can't find joy in that. You're in distress. You're being squished by, if you will, the pressures outside of you. And God says, listen, when those distresses come, when when you feel like you're going to be squished to death, when there's no joy left, when all there is is panic and fear, he's like, listen, would you please take a moment? Would you please stop what you're doing? And would you realize that can distress separate you from God's love? I only heard three people. Can distress take you from God's love? It can't. Persecution, famine, nakedness. When Paul's talking about nakedness here, he's talking about, listen, I mean, he plumb broke. He's got nothing. He's been beat up. He's been cast out of towns. His clothes have been taken from him. I mean, horrible, horrible, I mean, Horrible conditions. And he says, hang on. I've been through tribulation. I've been through distress. I've been persecution. I've been through famine. I've been starving half to death. I've been basically without common decent clothes. I've been in peril. I've had people attack me with weapons and try to stone me to death. And he says, listen, all those things, can they separate you from the love of Christ? And what's the answer, Christian? Uh-uh. Now, folks, I know, and we'll close. Let me skip that, just like I said. Let's go to this last verse. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul said, listen, we are more than conquerors. Let me come off camera for a moment and be done. Conquerors. What does that bring to your mind? Man, bring it on. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. And that's kind of exactly what he's talking about here. I'm a conqueror. God allows you to be successful, if you will, not talking about financial. God allows you to be successful in your walk with him because you indeed are more than a conqueror through Christ. He will give you the ability to overcome the problems you're going through. He will give you that ability, that love, that help to overcome the horrible situations that you're going through. Now, some of you aren't going through them now, but you will. I hate to tell you, folks, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? It's coming. And so much more as we see the day approaching. Would you walk with God? 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 Would you walk with God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, 
60 seconds every minute, 60 minutes every hour, walk with God. And you know what I'm going to guarantee you? I will guarantee you because God guarantees it. If you walk with God, he's just been waiting for you to catch up because he's been walking with you and making intercession on your behalf. Would you rejoice in that tonight? Would you put a smile on your face and it's like, I, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know. Listen, if you spend this amount of time talking to him, turn off the TV, turn off the other things, turn off the Internet, you're like, I can't live without putting on my phone. Do you ever, I, I can't go on. I could, but I'm not going to. Put your dumb phone down. Put it down. Put it down for an hour. I can't do that. You can't. Trust me, you can do it. And you spend an hour with God. And when you're driving, you talk to God. And when you're walking, you walk with God. And when everything you're doing, and when the heartache comes, you talk to God and you walk with God. What did he say? You can make it. Father, thank you for your love for us. Oh, we could go on and on and on about the wonderful things that you do in each of our lives. Father, I know tonight that we get weary in well-doing. We struggle because of the horrific things that come to us while we sojourn here in this life. But you never met any single person. Not a one Christian here needs to walk in sadness tonight. Not one person here needs to walk without feeling joy in their heart. Yes, many have suffered and suffered greatly over the past several years. Many have gone through the most unspeakable of grief that can hardly be imagined. Yet I know, Father, that you have a joy that you have for each and every person. Lord, would you help each of us that have gone through those things? Every single person here tonight, there's a reason they're here. There's a reason why you put this group together. Lord, some are going through things that we have no clue what they're going through right now, horrible situations that you know about, and we know you're already interceding for them. If that's you tonight, would you just figuratively drop to your face right now before the Lord. Grab onto his ankles, grab onto his feet and say, God, I need your help tonight. I'm going to spend more time with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to put down some of the entertainment that I've been sucked into. And I want to walk with you tonight. I want to be like you. I want to have that joy back in, in living and serving you. There is joy in serving Jesus. Father, would you change hearts tonight? Would you help us to forsake those things which have been wrecking our lives? Would you help us to make decisions that bring honor and glory to you? If that's you tonight, I'm not going to give an invitation except this. Right there where you are, you just make that into an old-fashioned altar and give it to Jesus tonight. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to help you in your walk with him this week? Would you ask him to bring to mind the scripture that you need? Would you ask him to bring the joy of your salvation back to you? And I guarantee if you'll walk with him, it will come. Father, thank you.